as everyone has made their way there, I'd like for us to read the text beginning with where we started off last week. It says, Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of a heavenly calling, consider Jesus the apostle and high priest of our confession. He was faithful to him who appointed him, as Moses also was in all his house. Let's go to the Lord. Most gracious Heavenly Father, for the sake of Jesus, we come before you, Lord, in praise and in worship. We ask this morning that you would receive our worship this day, Lord, and that your spirit would be with us and impress upon us the truths of Christ in this scripture. Lord, let us see Jesus in a way that we have never seen him before. Uh, Lord, make known to us the truth of his person and his work this day, and that we would glorify you as great God Almighty, and that we would exalt him as creator and savior in order that you would truly receive the worship, the exaltation, and the ascribed glory that is due your name. Lord, and for the sake of your people and for your name as well, Lord, we just ask that this day salvation come to those who hear the word. For those who hear the word, hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord, let uh, no tongue or no flesh this day hinder your message. Lord, let us not uh, corrupt the truth of Jesus Christ. Lord, let us find in your word this morning peace and sanctification and justification as we read of Jesus Christ, the only Savior. Lord, we just ask for your blessings, both temporal and spiritual, this morning uh, in order that we may do as we have been commanded, Lord, in order that we would love as we have been told. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This week, uh, the second week that we find ourselves in Hebrews chapter 3, and we've been in the Hebrews for quite some time. I trust that it's been a, a great blessing to this congregation. And we find ourselves once again fixated upon Jesus Christ, as He indeed is uh, the sum, the total, the beginning and end of every text and every verse and every line that we read, not only this week, but the weeks to come and in the weeks past. And we see every week how we are so needful and so needing of Jesus. The model that is indeed a continuation from the focus last week, where we see addressed uh, by the penman, the church of Christ. And we see as time and time again, we see Jesus Christ emphasized for those who stand in need of a Savior. And, and that really is encompassed within it the entirety of creation. Who stands in need of a Savior? Everyone. And so we see that this is in fact a continuation of every text, but most assuredly that which we've been studying for the past weeks and months as we've been in the Hebrews. And we see that God is indeed speaking to us through the Son, through the Son who is Jesus Christ, there is no 
other son who is naturally a son, who is divinely a son, but we're talking about the one who is the monogenes, the unique one, the only begotten as the text describes. This is Christ himself. And we see in this text the Holy Spirit testifying of this great truth of the only Savior. The only Savior. This is Yeshua. This is Jesus, the Son of God, the Son of Man. And what we come for this morning is that the Holy Spirit would reveal to us and speak through the text, the name of Jesus Christ, to who we saw last week, the brethren, the holy brethren as they are described, the people of God, those sheep who belong to Jesus Christ, the ones who hear His voice and follow after not another. We must look with introspection this morning and be convinced and be sure that we come this morning wanting to hear about Jesus Christ with great sorrow. I saw yesterday uh, a church that I'm very familiar with that I, I, I don't wish to name publicly. But they really represent a large portion of churches and they had this ad up on social media for a date and a meeting and the title of it was S'mores and Jesus. And at first glance it may not seem too bad and it may indeed not be too bad but uh, as I contemplated over the title of their meeting, S'mores and Jesus. We're talking graham crackers and chocolate and marshmallows and Jesus. I thought, how many people will come to this event for the s'mores? And the people that put the event on, I, I would trust that if they are truly saved, they would gather this day to speak of Jesus Christ. But they saw this... Uh, unintentionally I hope this need to draw with something other than Jesus imagine how many people would come to this event if it would have just been named Jesus the sad truth is that many would not come many would not gather and the truth really is in the title that Jesus was not enough some were looking for s'mores Something more than Jesus Christ. It's my prayer as I've contemplated and studied the text in Hebrews. In every passage up until this point. But most surely after considering those things. That this church and these people would come. Not for the s'mores. Not for the, the chocolate. Not for the sweets but for the bittersweet truth of Jesus Christ crucified for the remission of sins. And as I continue, I want us to see that this should be our ultimate intention with meeting here, that we would glorify and that the Spirit would speak to us as these holy brethren, this one body united in Christ, that they, He would speak to us testifying of the truths of Jesus. Excuse me. And that those who are truly unified as this body of believers, being made up, as we are told, of many brethren, that we truly meet as one. 
that we are here to hear about a man named Jesus Christ who is not merely a man, but who is also God. So in this, we're speaking about the Lord Jesus who is the Christ, who is the Messiah. For our Savior being Jesus, there is but one bride, and that is the church. Likewise, as Christ is holy, the church is also commanded to be ye holy as I am. That's what Jesus said. Certainly not speaking of myself. And it's no wonder why the church is described in verse 1 as we saw last week. As holy. For holiness is an inherent requirement for those who will enter into the kingdom of heaven. So what we have described for us in this kinship in verse 1, this kinship to Christ, we have where the church, that is you and I, we are the brothers. The brothers to Christ. Brothers not of a fleshly fleshly lineage or fleshly unity, but a, a brethren of spirit, whereby we have been born again from above. That is the summation, and that is what happens when the gospel is seen for its truth. We are born again from above, and the Bible says it's of water and of spirit, according to John chapter 3, verse 5. Lest we be prohibited from entering the holy city of our God. If we are not born again of this water, of this spirit, if we are not changed by the message of the gospel that we would hear this morning, we will be prohibited from entering into the kingdom. A true eternal promised land. Still it is impossible, as we see, for us to enter this place without holiness. If we have no holiness, we will not go. And if we look simply to the flesh, we will see that we are not going. If we are brethren of the flesh and we are looking in the flesh for holiness, we will soon see that we will not enter into the kingdom. But if indeed we are born of the Spirit, then we look to the Spirit for holiness. And we will see that it is possible. A little hint from the distant future, Lord willing, as we reach Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14. Follow peace with all men and holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord. That's what the Bible says. Excuse me. The message from last week is simply this. Church, we shall be holy. It is not an option. It is not the best way to enter into the kingdom. It is not a possible way to enter into the kingdom. It is a requirement of God that as we see, as we study the text... It is a requirement that by the flesh, by man, by humanity is impossible, but by the Spirit is provided. 
Everything in the gospel is indeed that way. That it is a requirement. We do not have it. We cannot obtain it. But it is provided through Jesus Christ. Holiness. Atonement. Sacrifice. Righteousness. Everything that is required to enter into the kingdom of heaven is fulfilled in Jesus Christ and provided through Jesus Christ. And so we see that we shall be holy. And the call to holiness and the call to follow as true disciples, for this is what that is, the Lord Jesus Christ being the one whom we follow, we recognize that our duties are duties of heavenly proportions. We are called to righteousness and therefore we must be heralds of righteousness, callers of men to such. Then as we see, as we are callers of men to righteousness, we must do so by the name and by the work of the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross, by the message of the gospel. We repent and we believe in this Jesus. This is the Jesus of the Bible. And last week we were again called to consider this Christ. Consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession. He is the apostle, the messenger, the worker of God the Father, the high priest of our confession, as it is written. And this is so true because no other man can intercede, no other person except Jesus Christ can present such a worthy sacrifice. In all honesty, the truth is this, is that we need no other. How foolish could man be to take on this perspective that with no regard to the Word of God that we would still say we need a sacrifice for our sins. And yet every day, people who even profess to be Christians say that they need a sacrifice. It seems so evident to us that Christ is sufficient But there may be some in this room who profess that with their mouth, yet do not believe it with their hearts. Don't like to, but I must harp on the Mormons here. They do not trust that Jesus Christ is sufficient. And they are not alone. How foolish is it for man to say that we still need a sacrifice for our sins and atoning bloodshed. Christ has done it and we church do not need anyone else. But the flesh says different. And this is how we may know if one does not trust in Christ, we know that they are trusting in the flesh because the, the flesh says something a little different, doesn't it? The flesh is always bearing false witness against the true Spirit of God, saying that there remains a need for sacrifice. In fact, if one says that they still need a sacrifice, the truth is that they do because Christ has not died for them. Or yet they are to see that Christ has died. Anything phony, anything that is a fraud, anything that is an imitation looks a lot like the real thing. It's like the child who wants a new cell phone 
or a new pair of shoes. This is what the church, the professing church, does to Christ. Notice I put that in quotes, the professing church. Not the true church, the the professing church. And at times, maybe the true church does this. It's like the cell phone or the new pair of shoes that we must be reminded that those that we already have meet our needs. We don't need to put a new spin on the gospel. And we don't need to put a new spin on the Savior. And we don't have to change anything if the church in its inception, beginning with Peter, did not believe it. We must be very careful. If they did not talk about it, we must be very careful. And if they didn't partake in it, we must, again, be very careful. We look to see what the church has always believed of the Christ. And we recognize that we don't need to change everything about church to appeal to culture. Because our provision is already satisfied. And we recognize that if indeed we come looking to hear about the Savior. We already have that working phone, that communication with Jesus Christ, communion by the Spirit. We already have the appropriate footwear, but still the flesh says our provision lacks the luster which we show desire. Isn't that the truth of what happens in the church? We're always wanting to change things because it just doesn't have that appeal, that luster that we go after. Such is the same for salvation. For holiness. And for righteousness. And for justification. The high priest of our confession. Has already accomplished. What no other can. But the spirit and the flesh. Wage war against one another. Where the flesh says. This Jesus is old. This savior is outdated. The savior of our own creation has this new appeal and the luster that the flesh looks for. I noticed with the the words that I had chosen, the luster. I noticed inherent in the word luster is lust. Wanting something that we shouldn't. Desiring something that is in no way beneficial. This is idolatry. Without idolatry. And yet. For many. Jesus does not appear to be enough. I'll say to you morning, this morning church. Hallelujah. That Jesus Christ is enough. It is not by our own decision that we have come to the point in which we recognize that Jesus Christ is indeed worthy of proclamation. That He is enough for me. I can't stop there. For those to whom Jesus is not enough, they must do one more thing, one more this, one more that, and to them they think that is enough. Let me show you again where this is not biblical Christianity. You want, you want to know, know why? Because if you could do one more thing and that was enough, that is not salvation because my Savior is more than enough. He can save more than has been created. 
Yet for His own pleasure, God has decreed that some will be spared and that every man deserves hell. The world wants a new Savior and a more modern and a more relevant salvation. But like with many other things, as with cars and tools and shoes and electronics, you'll notice in in the age where we have more knowledge than we ever have, we see that that Savior won't last. Just like the new car, the new pair of shoes, the new electronics. You can remember, some of you probably had your first TV for 50 years. And, and you didn't throw it out because it quit working, but that new one came out. It looks a lot better. It's a lot smaller. That's exactly what the culture is doing with Jesus Christ. He's still working. Still does exactly what He was meant to do. What He was appointed, as we'll see this morning, to do. Yet for some, it is just not attractive enough. The new Savior won't last. But the everlasting Savior is exactly what His name proclaims. Everlasting. Eternal, in fact. The truth is that the new one is no Savior at all. Consider this morning the true biblical Jesus. For it is He, church, who we have confessed unto salvation no other no other Jesus the text this morning says the apostle and high priest of our confession consider this Jesus he was faithful to him who appointed him as Moses also was in all his house he is faithful to him who appointed him now at first glance Many people want to say just how faithful Jesus Christ is to us. And that indeed is true. That is not the focus of the text. Do I believe that it is implied by the text? Absolutely. But notice what it says. He was faithful to Him who has appointed Him. You know, the reality is that Jesus Christ is faithful to us Because He is faithful to God. In fact, this must be the focus of the text to see how Christ was faithful before we ever were. Because if that were not the truth, we would have no Savior. We would have no Jesus. In His faithfulness, we may understand that Jesus was and still is true. That's what faithfulness is. He's loyal To the Father who appointed Him. Without failing, this text describes only one man who is both man and God and that is Christ. He is the only one to never deny the Father. The best person that you've ever met since you've been born, apart from Christ, the best person that you've ever met read about in a book or heard of in a movie or on the radio, they have denied Christ. They have denied God in deed or in word. I have done the same. Everyone who sits in a pew or even in a chair has done the same. 
We have all denied, yet this Christ, the true Son, the only Son of God, He has never denied the Father. By this, it shows again that He is faithful, whereby we may define such as constant. Christ is constantly faithful. They cannot really be separated, constant and faithful, for if He is constant, He is faithful. If you are constantly showing up on time, you are faithfully showing up on time. If you are constantly in prayer, you are faithfully in prayer. Therefore, when we see the word faithful, we know that Christ is constant. What does that bring to mind? It brings to mind the deity of Jesus Christ. He is constant. He is always. He is never changing. As the word says, God is never changing. In it is a great fact about the God-man Jesus Christ and His deity. An affirmation in His faithfulness that He is constant. Always the same. And such also must be true because He is in fact not merely man but also God. He is God unchanging. Christ is faithful in that He is devoted to to his task and to his master. To no other than the Father is Christ's allegiance sworn, nor is his heart given to any other than the Father or his actions. Here is a news flash for Christians Christ didn't come to save simply to make you happy. Simply to give you eternal life. If that is what you think of the gospel, I urge you to read it over and over again until you see that Jesus Christ is only saving those whom has been given to Him from the Father because it glorifies the name of God. Because it brings attention to His power and to His might and to His reign and to His authority. In it He is glorified. This is the reason that Christ has come. He's devoted. He has an allegiance. And these are the things that we are called to be as a Christian. Dedicated is He from eternity past into the infinite eternity that is future to proclaim God as the only God. The one who is worthy of worship. The one who is worthy of praise. The one who is worthy of exaltation. Hereby we may know that Christ in His faithfulness is devoted to one and that is God. Likewise, the people of Christ shall be devoted to only one God. That means set down your football. That means lay aside your debit cards and your bank statements. And pick up the cross. Carry your cross. Suffer for the sake of Christ. Give up so that everything you lose is in fact gain for His kingdom. 
we do not only see the faithfulness, but a faithfulness that is devout to one. To one. This is the one who has appointed him, the text says. It's dutiful that we take note that Jesus is not here referred to as one who is created, but one who is already infinite and in existence at this point, and he is appointed to a position where we know him as the Christ. The, the purpose behind this statement is that some have read this text, and some may even this morning preach that he was faithful to him to appoint him, and they will take that as Christ is one who is created to do this. Christ is no created being. But Christ, Jesus, the person who we recognize, Yeshua, has eternally existed before the creation. And at this point, we are told that he is appointed to the position of Messiah, to the position of the Christ. As we call him. Before Abraham, Jesus said, I am. It's not as if Jesus had recently entered into the scene, but he created it. His divine appointment is that of Savior, and it is realized as we read this text. He is not only the Christ, he is the Christ who is appointed to such a place. Christ, we should see, is not just a title, but Christ is a name. Christ is a fulfillment. Christ means that he, Jesus, is the anointed one of God, the Messiah. Definite article. The. Only one. Matthew chapter 16 says this. When Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples saying, Whom do men say that I the Son of Man am? And they said, Some say that thou art John the Baptist, some Elias, and others Jeremiah, and, or one of the prophets. He said unto them, but whom say ye that I am? Simon Peter answers and says, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus is both there because the Christ, the Messiah, must be the Son of God and the Son of Man. Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And how does Jesus respond? He answers and says, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say also unto thee, Thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. What must we take away from this? That Jesus has always existed and that he is the son of God and he is the son of man. And that he is the Christ they were looking for. We better not be looking for any other Christ than that which Simon Peter was looking for. Upon this rock I will build my church. 
looking for the Christ. And that when Jesus comes, he says, Thou art the Christ. We better be careful. We better be careful this new age Jesus. This wannabe. This phony. This fraud. You know, yesterday I saw from this ministry an article that says, God does not allow nor bring upon His people any suffering or any pain. Better watch out. To which I wrote the people of the ministry and asked, as they pointed to cancer and all of these other illnesses, God would never allow these things, nor would He create them. I said, do you believe in the curse? Do you believe that all things work together for good? The Bible doesn't say that those things that look good work together for good, but it says all things. Was it not God who allowed Job to be treated as he was of Satan? Did he not say, I would deliver, you, deliver him into your hand except for that you not take his life? Is that not what he said? Does that sound like the God of the Bible? Absolutely. But we better not follow after a different Jesus. We better be following this Christ that Peter was looking for. And Peter was looking for him and praise be to God, Peter saw him. And what does Jesus said? He said, you didn't see me by flesh and blood, Simon. But it was God who showed you who I am. All of this constitutes what has been revealed so far in Hebrews. Christ has presented time and time again, final prophet, final priest, final king, and therefore without reservation, we call our attention to His eternal appointment as the mediator who serves as such between one triune God and all of mankind. This mankind is one for whom some number have been given to Christ. And He is their mediator. He is reserved for those only who have been given Him. The remainder have none to intercede. The remainder have none to pay their debt. And if you not be in Christ, you have none to cancel the wages of your sin. What does that mean? That if this Jesus Christ, who is the apostle and the high priest of our confession, if it is not He who you are trusting in, who is your Savior, then you will not be spared the wrath of God. A lot of people get caught up in that cancel my debt, intercede on my behalf, give me eternal life, but they forget a whole lot about the wrath of God. The beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. The fear of the power and the might and the majesty and the judgment and the wrath of God. Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? 
We would be counted if it were not for the Spirit and for Jesus Christ in the midst of those whom He called a brood of vipers. This appointment of Christ that we see here. He was faithful to Him who appointed Him. This appointment should come to us as no surprise. Indeed, it should be no surprise. Let us read again the first verse of Hebrews chapter 1. Why is it no surprise what we see in Hebrews chapter 3? It says, Because God, after He spoke long ago to the fathers and many prophets, in many portions and in many ways, in these last days has spoken to us in His Son, whom He appointed heir of all things, through whom also He made the world. And He is the radiance of His glory and the exact representation of His nature and upholds all things by the word of His power. How do we know that this Christ in chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, is the Christ that we were waiting on? It says that He is the one the Jesus that we are considering faithful and appointed. And what God says in the first verses of Hebrews chapter 1 is that this is the one, the Son who created all things to whom I have appointed. There's only one appointed there. There's no other Jesus except for the Jesus in the Bible. Anybody else is just Jesus the gardener. We're talking about Jesus the Christ, Jesus the Messiah, the one who is able to save you from your sin. It's a serious business. With precision, Christ has performed every task that He has been entrusted with by the Father. He has done so for no other reason than to glorify God. Remember, you are called to look and to imitate this Christ. Perform your task with precision as Jesus has. Be trustworthy with the task. Do so for the glory of God. Christ has done so for no other reason. As prophet, He has showed us the truth of who God is. Where other prophets failed. Where other prophets could be killed. This prophet lives and reigns supreme. And He has indeed, like no other, showed us truly who God is and what He expects and what He has done for His people. Moses sometimes failed. He has, with faithful execution of this offer, shown us what a true prophet looks like. To declare the Great One of Heaven. John the Baptist Proclaimed this Christ. And he said, yet there is one coming after me who is greater. And the Apostle John, as he writes his epistle, in chapter 1 verse 18, says that this is truly the accomplishment of Christ. No man hath seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, He hath declared Him. Who is declaring That God is who He says He is. Jesus Christ, the only begotten. The Son who is in the bosom. Hebrews 1 says that He is this prophet. God only speaks through Him. Through His work. 
Jesus continually proclaimed that he was from God to do the will of God specifically for the task at hand was he serving. To serve in the offices and manners described as prophet, priest, and king. Still men refuse to hear. Still men are looking for another fleshly prophet. One sense, the, the reality is that a lot of men prefer a liar to Jesus Christ. A lot of men are looking for something else when in fact everything we need has already come and ascended to heaven. Men refuse and we refuse not only to hear, but we refuse to submit. Even those who hear, we refuse to submit Jesus continued through this. And He does so today by His Spirit. And He does so today verify His prophecy. Consider John chapter 8, verse 28. So Jesus said, When you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am He. And I do nothing on my own initiative, but I speak these things as the Father taught me. Then in Acts 3.22, Moses said, The Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you. Is this not the faithful prophet? Is this not Jesus of whom we speak? The one from God? The prophet who is God? And still Christ continued He prophesied, he preached. Then he continued as priest with this same faithfulness. What must he do? What must this Christ do? He, of course, interceded. And he still intercedes. Yet unlike any other sacrifice, he brings his own body. No other priest did that. Too scared. Too selfish. Too insufficient. He brings his own body. One that is forever without blemish. Satisfying every debt of sin ever created through man's disobedience. This is the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. His blood presented as the priest. And it is the atonement for sin. Continually does Christ this very day ever live to make intercession for His bride. If you need an intercessor, here He is. This Jesus Christ of the Bible. And still His faithfulness is declared in that. It is shown and thus we will see throughout the Hebrews, not just here, that Jesus Christ is now reigning forever. That He is a faithful King that we serve. I believe that John Gill said it best considering Christ and His faithful execution of His appointments. He says this, He was faithful in fulfilling all His types, prophet, priest, king, and otherwise, and in changing and finishing all the ceremonial constitutions and filling them up with gospel ones. According to God's will, Revealed to him about it, 
He was true to the Father who was appointed and constituted him to these offices and solemnly invested him in them. That is the Jesus Christ described in verse 2 of chapter 3 in the Hebrews. And then it goes on. It ends with this appeal to those who were deeply rooted in Judaism, who were given to the ceremony and tradition. It says, As Moses also was in all his house. Was this to compare Moses to Christ? I think Moses would have been ashamed to be compared to Jesus Christ. Yet there are men today who love to do such. Believe he would be ashamed. In fact, it was not to compare Moses to Christ. If you think that Moses did well with all that he was given to do, if you think that in some way he worked with the precision and dedication and love that Jesus did, consider Christ. Moses was a mediator, but at times we see he lacked restraint. He lacked courage. He lacked trust in God. This is why he was given Aaron. He was not able to lift for himself the staff as he crossed the sea, was he? Moses could not and did not on his own power present his people holy and blameless, did he? In fact, all Moses could do is try to intercede because his people again and again did not trust in the Lord. Moses could not bring his people to trust or believe, but Jesus Christ can. The Jesus Christ of the Bible, who is appointed to these positions, these offices, so faithfully can do what Moses could not. Moses had no holiness to give his people. He had no righteousness to impute to his people. He could not justify their sins before God. Still he mediated in so much as God gave him the power to do so. Yet his mediation was limited because he was limited by his flesh, by his nature. Yes, the mediation of Moses came to an end. Christ began and has not quit. Nor will he ever. For he will forever mediate. Moses brought the law. Christ fulfilled it. Moses taught and established earthly judgment. Christ fulfills it. Christ brings it. These people held Moses up so high. And that is the appeal in Hebrews chapter 3 to the people. That you hold Moses up so high. You exalt him so greatly. Yet... He pales in comparison to this Jesus. Exceedingly great is the one who came after Moses, yet eternally he has existed. The one in whom Moses has found rest, here is your mediator. There is rest in no other. You best believe as Moses has entered into heaven, it's because of what Jesus Christ has done. His house is one that exists beyond those who were merely captive to Egypt, but 
of this Christ. His are those who were held captive to sin. Much larger house. Real deep basement. Gets dark. Quite simply, if Moses is accredited and greatly regarded among you, the text is saying, for freedom and for prophecy and for priestliness, let Jesus the Christ reign even higher. Exalt and exalt Him above all. Continue to come unto Him and draw nigh. Believe in Him and trust in Him. Be filled with Him and be saved by Him. To God be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Let us go before the Lord once again. Great God, we come before You, Lord, and ask that You would humble us. Lord, ask that You would forgive us of our many sins. Lord, we have idols. We have cursed Your name. Lord, we have taken the Sabbath and trampled it underfoot. Lord, we have lied, we have stolen, we have murdered, we have dishonored our parents. Lord, and we have dishonored You. What can we do but appeal to the sacrifice that is in Christ? Lord, we ask as we continue the services today, Lord, that You would receive our worship and that You would forgive us of these sins, Lord, that we know Christ has covered. A multitude, all of these sins for many. Lord, let us submit our hearts and our lives before you this day so that we may enter into this time of remembrance, this time of communion worthily. Lord, we pray that for those who would see the cup and not stand worthy, Lord, not sit right, that you would impose upon them the desire to let the cup pass. To let the body as well, the bread, pass, Lord. And that what we partake truly be out of a heart that is yielded to Christ. And we pray that your spirit would provide an abundance of wisdom and knowledge this day and spiritual blessings. In the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, amen. As you are very... Aware, let me turn this on. As you are very aware, we're in uh, Hebrews chapter 3, verse 2. And what we saw was a proclamation this morning of who Christ is and how we are to consider this Jesus of the Bible who was appointed to these positions that have been 
named so many times throughout the epistle to the Hebrews. And this evening, I think we come to a portion of Scripture where Peter is giving a sermon and he describes to us exactly what we saw in Hebrews chapter 3. And in fact, he's really describing everything that we have seen thus far in the Hebrews. And so what I would like to do is first pray and then begin with uh, verse 14 in chapter 2. Father God, as we come once again, Lord, to your throne and offer our prayer, Lord, our prayer is this, is that uh, as we read the text, Lord, your spirit will be upon us and minister to us and cause us to discern the truth of Jesus Christ and to see Christ in the scriptures for all his magnificence, for his glory and for his radiance that is the exact representation of your nature being both God and man is he. Lord, let us exalt Christ this evening. Uh, let our hearts be lifted up in praise and worship and thankfulness for what he has done. Lord, let us proclaim the gospel going forth from here and let it uh, reign supreme in our lives. Lord, we pray for those who aren't with us this evening. We pray for those who are sick, Lord, and afflicted, that uh, that your mercy and grace be upon them, that it would abide with them, Lord, that they would continue to press on towards the mark as uh, we run in this race, Lord, of life, a race towards eternal life with Jesus Christ. Lord, let us be uh, of sound wisdom and knowledge and discernment this evening and that we may see Christ and worship Him. Lord, we give to you all the honor and the praise and the glory uh, for anything that should come through this study. We ask for your repeated and continual forgiveness as we know that you are faithful and that we know Christ is able uh, even to intercede at this moment. Lord, we're thankful for you. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Peter's <clears throat> sermon in the Acts of the Apostles. And I think there's no coincidence that we see uh, such a relative scripture to what we were talking about. Whereas we were reminded last week, consider this Jesus who is the Apostle and the High Priest. And it's very befitting that in Peter's sermon, that it would be in the Acts recorded, the Acts of the Apostles. That he is recording Jesus Christ and his work. Begins with verse 14, it says, But Peter, taking his stand with the eleven, raised his voice and declared to them, Men of Judea, and all you who live in Jerusalem, Let this be known to you and give heed to my words. For these men are not drunk as you suppose, for it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was spoken of through the prophet Joel. And it shall be in the last days, God says, that I will pour forth of my spirit on all mankind. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy and your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my bond slaves, both men and women, will I send in those days, pour forth my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will grant wonders in the sky above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun will be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and glorious day of the Lord shall come. And it shall be that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Men of Israel, 
Listen to these words. Jesus, the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs which God performed through him in your midst, just as you yourselves know. This man, delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to the cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. But God raised him up, putting an end to the agony of death, since it was impossible for him to be held in its power. For David says of him, I saw the Lord always in my presence, for he is at my right hand so that I will not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue exalted. Moreover, my flesh also will live in hope, because you will not abandon my soul to Hades, nor allow your Holy One to undergo decay. You have made known to me the ways of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Brethren, I may confidently say to you regarding the patriarch David that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. And so because he was a prophet and knew that God had sworn to him with an oath to seat one of his descendants on his throne, he looked ahead and spoke of the resurrection of the Christ, that he was neither abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh suffer decay. This Jesus God raised up again to which we are all witnesses. Therefore, having been exalted to the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, He has poured forth this which you both see and hear. For it was not David who ascended into heaven, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart, And said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brethren, what shall we do? Peter said to them, Repent, and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord God will call to himself. And with many other words he solemnly testified and kept on exhorting them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. What we have is a sermon of Peter. Many things said from verse 14 through 42. But I believe the summation of this and its relation to what we've seen in Hebrews chapter 3 is this. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ. Now you may ask, just exactly how does that fit in with what we've seen? Well, remember what the text said this morning. Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of a heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession, He was faithful to Him who appointed Him. He appointed Him, as we saw this morning, as Messiah. As 
Christ. And what we have when we see these things is that Peter is describing this Christ Jesus to whom we believe. This is the Christ who is of God. And it it says it so very clearly. He was prophesied of. He was foretold. He was predetermined to go to this place, to go to Golgotha, to go to the cross. And because of this, we see that man has, in, in effect, nailed to the cross through his sin, this Jesus Christ. I think it's so important that we look there to verse 36 and see that the sum of the gospel is this. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know. What is it therefore is the question that we ask. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know. And what we understand from that is that in the immediate sense, yes, he was talking to the people of God who were literally Israel, but what we see here is the spiritual connotation that not all who were born there are Israel, but those who are of the kindred spirit of God. And that is exactly what the passage talks about, the gift of the Holy Spirit. Those who are repenting and believing, it says, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. He's speaking now to the truths of Jesus Christ, and he's saying, let all those who belong to him, that's literally what the passage is saying, We can insert that there. The house of Israel. Let all those who claim, who do believe in the Jesus Christ, let them know for certain that God has made Him Lord and Christ. Where do we see this? We saw it in chapter 1, right, of Hebrews. This is the radiance of His glory, the exact representation, the imprint of His nature. This is the one who He has appointed heir of all things. This is, in fact, that Christ. Know for certain. He is not Lord in Christ because of the miracles that He performed. He is not Lord in Christ because He simply said the right words. He is not Lord in Christ because simply He is from the line of David. He is not Lord in Christ because He is a good man. But He is Lord in Christ because God has appointed Him to such a position. How can God appoint Jesus to the position of Messiah in Christ. One word and one word only. Perfection. Jesus Christ can be appointed to this position because man is required to die for his sins. Only Christ is man and at the same time perfect. There is a Messiah that has been foretold of. And he must meet all of these qualifications. That in the, in the unknown, in, in, in the known sense, in the most literal terms, every qualification. This is why uh, the Orthodox Jews are still waiting for their Messiah because the, all the qualifications were seemingly physical. They're seemingly physical, and they are. That he be born, that he be of blood and flesh. That he be man, that he be able uh, through blood to be atoned for, but that he be righteous, that he be holy, that he be perfect, and there is but one who fits that bill. There is only one who is able as a man to be Christ and to be Lord. And what does the text say? The text says, this 
is the Jesus whom you crucified. What does that tell us? It tells us the last and quite possibly the most significant portion of the gospel message. This is the perfect one of God who has died. And he has risen. He has ascended. This is the Christ whom you crucified. The prophecies foretold of one who would be so treated as Christ, would be so nailed and and die in this manner in which they had never seen before the Roman time. And here he is. Notice what the text says, that this is the man delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God. You nailed to a cross. You nailed him to the cross. If this is the gospel, and verses 36 through 37, that here is one, the Lord and the Christ, the Messiah, notice how its application is made known. It is made known by saying, you nailed him to a cross. Isn't that amazing? Sin nailed Christ to a cross. And not just any sin, but my sin. You know, the truth is for one maybe such as Adolf Hitler. As far as we know, Christ didn't die for him. His sin didn't nail Christ to the cross. The irony, the bittersweet understanding of the cross is that the sinner to whom the gospel message has been effectual, it is his and her sin who has nailed Christ to the cross. Notice the appeal of Peter is not that come to Christ and you can have money. Come to Christ and you can have wealth. Come to Christ and be healed. He does not say those things. But what does Peter say? He says, men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus the Nazarene, the man attested to you by God through these things. It was just to prove that He is the Messiah. You have crucified Him and because God has raised Him from the dead, you may have life in His name. There's no other reason to come to Christ. In fact, if Christ was willing to give you all of your heart's desires, your fleshly heart's desires, if He was willing to give you all of the treasures that you could store up on earth, if He would give you all of the wisdom uh, that you would seek to better yourself with on this earth, it would do your soul not a single bit of good. But what He does have to offer that is infinite in value is this blood, is this sacrifice, where it says God raised Him up, putting an end to the agony of death. This is what is so beautiful about Christ it isn't that he can create or destroy with just a word but that he is able to bring to life that which is dead the text so well marries with what we've seen in Hebrews chapter 3 therefore let all the house of Israel know for certain it doesn't say 
this is a possible means, that this is a, a plausible outcome, that you would hear this message of the Christ and be saved, but that you have heard this message, you can confidently put all of your trust in Jesus Christ. And that's exactly what we see when we move to verse 38. Repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus. Repentance implies that we turn. And yes, that be turning from sin. That be turning from any of our fleshly ways that would be contrary to what the Bible prescribes. But it also implies that we trust. You can't repent and believe unless you're entrusting. And it says, therefore, you're able to receive this Christ. This one who is both Lord and Christ. Both man and God. Jesus here is showing, is proving his appointed position that we see in Hebrews chapter 1 and chapter 3. He is making known through his word, excuse me, his dual nature and his monopoly on salvation. There's no other way that one could be saved. Let's look at Romans chapter 1. It says, beginning with verse 1, Paul, a bondservant of Christ Jesus, called as an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. Here is the Christ, the one who is made known for certain by God as the Lord, as the Messiah. Here he is, promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. Concerning his son, who was born of a descendant of David according to the flesh, who was declared the son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead according to the spirit of holiness, Jesus Christ our Lord. What we have in Romans is the greeting to the church that is solidifying, that is reconfirming, that is affirming exactly what we see in the Acts. At the point of regeneration, we see that the message is believe in this Jesus Christ whom you have crucified for the remission of sin. And then we see in Romans as, as Paul is moving his, his thoughts are moving towards the church, those who are already saved, what is the message? This is Jesus Christ the Lord message doesn't change once we're saved. In fact, it says, This is He, the descendant of David, according to the flesh, who is declared the Son of God, the power of the resurrection from the dead, according to the Spirit, Jesus Christ our Lord. And what does He go on to say? Through whom we have received grace and apostleship. Through whom we have received salvation. This is why we say it the way that we do, that... Uh, we never graduate from the gospel. The truth is that Jesus Christ is appointed. He shall not be overthrown. He is Lord. He is Christ. 
Jesus from all eternity, Christ from his appointment of God, securing for those who are his salvation. How does it work? You know, look to Romans chapter 1, verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. Because that which is known about God is evident within them, for God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so that they are without excuse. The wrath of God revealed, abiding upon the heads of all men since Adam, and here is one who is able to relieve us because he has taken on that wrath because he is Jesus the Christ. Jesus the Christ. Turn to first Corinthians chapter twelve. very close there this morning verse 2 you know that when you were pagans you were led astray to the mute idols however you were led therefore I make known to you that no one speaking by the spirit of God says Jesus is accursed and no one can say, Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Again, Acts chapter 2, verse 36. Let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Let us not take this commission. And impose upon it our will or our power or our ability. Because what we just read shows that it is only made known. It is only revealed. It is only discerned by the power of the Spirit who lives because Christ lives. Who continues to draw men unto Christ because He lives. Because God raised Him from the dead. We can go on and on and continue with a million verses. But we can look right here and it's all summed up for us. Therefore, know for certain God has made him Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. The fact is the Jesus whom you and I have crucified is the very best Savior that we will find because God has made Him so. What do we know about God? He makes all things perfect. He makes all things good. If we're looking for a Savior and we look anywhere other than the Bible, if we look anywhere in the Bible and see anything other than Christ, that will save us. If we think our laws, if we think 
God's law, if we think the deeds that we do, if we think that our righteousness, our self-righteousness, or our, our giving ourselves to the church, or being here when the, when the doors are open, or serving the people, if we think that in there lies our salvation, we are deceived. For it says, God has provided a sacrifice. His name is Jesus. He has always existed and He is not simply Lord and Savior and Christ because He looks to be the best to the flesh. But He is so and He is able so because Jesus is named the Christ by God. Likewise, we are named holy brethren by God. It isn't our choice. is isn't our decision. It isn't our kind spirit. Because if it was up to that, none of us would come. But the text is very clear that this is Jesus the Christ because He is from God. The Orthodox Jews, the Jehovah's Witnesses, the Mormons or any other cult will never find their Messiah. Because they're looking for a Messiah who is named by a man they call prophet. They're waiting for this person who is limited by his ability to live. A mere man who they esteem highly and call him prophet. They're listening and hanging on every word of the women. The Seventh-day Adventists. They're waiting for a man to tell them who the Messiah is when the Bible says that God has named him and God has appointed him. Jesus Christ, his son. If we look anywhere else, we won't find him. If we're waiting for our neighbor to tell us because we don't think he's here yet, we'll be disappointed. We'll find the warmest spot ever. Because we did not heed the warning in Hebrews. Because we did not look to the Messiah who is described in biblical text. This is the Lord. This is the Christ. Jesus whom we crucified. Imagine that once again. That what we do when we leave here today... The moment that we allow our minds to be taken aback by someone or something other than Christ. It is that very moment that caused Christ to go to the cross. When we go outside and unlock our car doors and think, man, this thing sure is nice. The moment our eyes are taken off of Christ, we have revealed to our hearts the wrath that abided upon our heads that Christ Himself has taken. And the text is very clear that the men of Israel who understood this, it is they who killed the Christ. It is they who crucified the Christ. It is their sin who placed Him there. In one sense... The unbeliever hasn't placed Christ there. In the other sense, those who did not believe uh, and who were there, the soldiers, they, they are guilty. 
But the condemnation would be so great to know that we have placed Christ there and the guilt should be so heavy. The burden of salvation. If people aren't burdened by how they came to salvation, they might ought to doubt in whom they trust. Because salvation is a great burden knowing that I placed Christ there. But on the other hand, the Scriptures are very clear because we know that we have placed Him there. If we come to Him, if we stay, if we walk, if we seek and find this Christ, He will take our burden. He will make it light. His yoke is easy, it says. The summation of the text is repent and believe in this Messiah who is not named by a man. Mary and Joseph didn't get to pick out Jesus. They didn't look into books of popular names and get to decide to call Him Christ. But God Himself has appointed Him. Heir of all things. Master over His creation. Lord of lords and King of kings. This is the Christ in whom we believe. Let's pray. Father, as we come before you once again, Lord, we're just thankful for your word, and your word is truth. Lord, we thank you that we can believe it. Lord, we ask that you would cause our hearts to be so dedicated to Christ, Lord, that, uh, that even for a moment we could be confused with the greatest of the apostles or the greatest of disciples. Lord, let us be known not by what our flesh has done, but what the Spirit has done within us. Lord, let us be called by Christ. Let us be known by Christ. Lord, we love you and trust you. Lord, we thank you for salvation. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.